I'm going to let you be seated this morning during the scripture reading because it is an entire chapter. We are continuing uh, our series in the book of Jonah. Um, last week we were supposed to look at chapter 3 and I was sick with a really bad migraine. So thanks to Jeremy who had two hours notice and uh, filled in for me and I really appreciate his eagerness to help and assist. But uh, we will continue uh, the series today and finish up tomorrow. Uh, Jonah is a minor prophet, but that doesn't mean that he's less important. Minor means smaller. And in fact, it is so small, you can read the book of Jonah in about 10 to 12 minutes. And chapter 3 is only 10 verses, and that is our lesson today. If, if you've been here previously, you know chapter 1 is the uh, call of Jonah to go to Nineveh to preach uh, repentance to this wicked city. And um, understandably, he hates Ninevites because they are part of the Assyrian Empire, a brutal regime that was an enemy of Israel. So he goes in the opposite direction, gets a boat, heads for Tarshish, which is over 2,000 miles away, literally at the ends of the known world on the coast of Spain. But uh, he gets on the boat, a storm comes up, he's thrown overboard, and a great fish swallows him. And um, he is spit out on the ground and then receives this second call here in Jonah chapter 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time saying, Get up, go to, Gen to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three-day walk across. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk, and he cried out, Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone great and small put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he had a proclamation made in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, no human being or animal, no herd or flock shall taste anything. They shall not feed, nor shall they drink water. Human beings and animals shall be covered with sackcloth, and they shall cry mightily to God. All shall turn from their evil ways and from the violence that is in their hands. Who knows? God may relent and change His mind. He may turn from His fierce anger so that we do not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. This is the word of God for the people of God. God. Let's pray together. God, we pray in these next moments that we would have an open, open hearts and open minds to your word. We pray that... Um, We'll think more deeply about uh, the gift of your grace and mercy and how you do give us additional chances in life. Uh, I pray for those sitting here today who need to hear a word about your second chances, a chance to come back to you, 
a chance to be forgiven of sin, a chance to renew the covenant that you have made with us through Jesus Christ. Come, Holy Spirit, come and speak to us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I read this week uh, that the idea, the whole notion of a second chance is historically one of our most cherished American values. We all know about the emphasis on hard work and initiative and equal opportunity and freedom, etc. But uh, we hear people say often, you know, everybody deserves a second chance. Perhaps you've said that about someone. It's so universally accepted in our culture that you would think that the Founding Fathers would have put that in the Declaration of Independence. That uh, we have a right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and one thing more, a second chance. From politicians to sports heroes to everyday people, people that we love and we care about in our circle of family and friends, uh, Americans can be pretty forgiving. As long as when they mess up, they seem genuinely sorry. They repent of those failures. I want to believe that Christianity has had something to do with that in our culture, the foundation of faith that has been a part of many of our founders, that that has shaped and uh, formed our understanding of grace and the offer of a second chance that God gives people. In Genesis chapter 11, Sarah was childless and full of sorrow, yet God gave her a second chance. He gave her a baby in old age. Elsewhere in the scriptures, we see Moses in a fit of rage, murdering a man, an Egyptian soldier. Yet God called Moses to be the great liberator of his people, to bring them from slavery in Egypt to the promised land. And we read about that in the book of Exodus. David's hands were also covered with blood when he conspired to have Bathsheba's husband killed in battle to cover up uh, David's own adultery with this man's wife. Yet God gave his servant a second chance after David repented and returned to the Lord. Rahab the prostitute should have died with the rest of her people in the battle for Jericho. Yet God spared her because of her act of mercy and she became a part of the covenant of Israel. She was included in, in the lineage, the ancestry of Jesus the Messiah. And then there's the story of Elijah. I love Elijah. Great prophet of God, defeated the prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel. And then in... Um, in the midst of, of a post-victory depression, he flees in, into the wilderness and finds a refuge under a solitary broom tree. And there he prays to God. Listen to his words. I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. The Lord refreshes him through an angel. He continues, goes all the way into the Sinai to Mount Horeb, where the Ten Commandments tradition says were given to Moses for the people of Israel. And there he, he, he's holed up in a cave, still depressed, feeling isolated and alone. Yet God followed him all the way to Horeb and offered him a second chance, recommissioned him as his prophet and preacher. 
And then in the New Testament, we all know about Peter's denial of Jesus, the night of the betrayal, the arrest, the trial that sentenced Jesus to die on the cross at Calvary the next day. And, and Peter in the courtyard denies in those wee hours of the morning, denies even knowing Jesus three times, and yet it was Peter who was forgiven and, and restored by Jesus after the resurrection. It was Peter who preached on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 souls were saved. Peter became a mighty apostle and leader of the early church. And then John Mark, the young man who accompanied Paul and Barnabas on that first missionary journey, apparently he got cold feet, he didn't like the sacrifices, who knows what happened but he deserted Paul. And Paul was plenty upset with him for quite some time. But he was given a second chance. And the scripture says that John Mark resumed his usefulness to Paul later on. And tradition says that he is the young man who wrote the gospel of Mark later in life. And that has been the story of Christianity for 2,000 years. God in his mercy and grace gives people a second chance. He, he can give you, he gives me another chance. I've heard countless people say, I forgive, but I won't forget. Have you ever said that? Has somebody tell me that recently, sat in my office, have been deeply wounded by someone, someone they cared about, and said, I will forgive him, but I will not forget what he has done. Isn't it good that God doesn't deal with us in the same way that we tend to deal with others? The scripture says clearly in the New Testament, since God has graciously forgiven us time and time again, given us another chance, we ought to do the same for others. Because grace is at the heart of the gospel. I said in the first service, I'll say it again since Connie's present, uh, there's no one that has given me more chances than Connie, all right? In 43 and some odd years of marriage, she has been so gracious and merciful to me and continues to forgive me and give me another start, uh, a second chance, if you will. Jonah 3.1 says that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. A second time obviously means there was a first time, correct? And the first time he ran away from God. He was disobedient and rebellious. Yet, here again is evidence, though some people say it's not true, God is a God of grace in the Old Testament just as he is in the New Testament. There, there is not incongruity between the old and the new. There's a consistency in the character of God that we see in the pages of of both Testaments in terms of God being gracious and being willing to give us a new beginning. Now, let me just say that a second chance is not guaranteed for individuals and certainly not for nations. I mean, Lot's wife didn't get a second chance, did she? Genesis 19, 26. Uzzah reached out his hand and touched the holy ark of the covenant and he died. He didn't get a second chance in 2 Samuel 6-7. And everybody knows that Judas had no opportunity for a second chance because Judas, after betraying Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, 
hangs himself. He commits suicide. And when Ananias and Sapphira, this husband and wife of some means, sold some of their property and offered the proceeds to the church to help them in their time of need, they held back part of it and they deceived Peter. Actually, the scripture says in Acts 5, they lied to the Holy Spirit. And when they did this, in the presence of the apostle, they both died. No second chances. Second chances are undeserved, always. Amen? Oh, come on. Second chances are always undeserved. Amen? Amen? Amen. Yes, no one is guaranteed a do-over in any situation. However, God seems to delight in giving us second chances. And amazingly, here in Jonah chapter 3, this reluctant, rebellious prophet gets a do-over. The Lord didn't throw him away after he was thrown overboard into the sea and swallowed by the great fish. He could have been left there. He could have died there. But the Lord gave him another opportunity to be obedient to be obedient to his word. And the message that God gave Jonah to preach is the same as uh, as it had been before. It's succinctly delivered uh, in eight words. Now that's a sermon anybody could like, right? An eight-worded sermon? I figured somebody would get excited about that. (laughs) Uh, In the Hebrew, it's actually only five words. So it's even shorter uh, than it was in it is in English. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overturned, was the message, according to Jonah 3, 4. And the response that Jonah got was totally unexpected. Now, I don't know if this is exact word for word what God told him to preach. There, there is nothing said about, about God's grace or his mercy here. Uh, there's no real promise here. It's just a dire warning that judgment is coming. And as we've already talked about, the Assyrians were deserving of judgment. Uh, They were an unusually violent empire. Uh, I kind of like to picture the Klingons when I think of the Assyrians. (laughs) Those of you all that like Star Trek. Uh, They slaughtered and enslaved countless people. They oppressed the poor. Uh, They were renowned for their imperialism, their injustice and oppression of other countries. Surely, surely Jonah thought God would not, would not give Nineveh a chance to repent. This brutal city that was ruled by cruelty and violence, chapter 3 says. A second chance for Nineveh? No way! In January 1907, over a hundred years ago, there was a revival that broke out in what we call, in, in our day, Northern Korea. One of the most oppressive regimes on the face of the earth. It is a horrible place to live if you're a Christian. Uh, it's a place that you worship in secret. It's a place where the Bible is not allowed, where corporate worship, gatherings of Christians uh, can result in your death. And in 1907, at a Bible conference in Pyongyang, which is now the capital of North Korea, 
those attending the conference came under deep conviction of sin. A preacher got up and had the nerve to confront the sin of hatred and prejudice that Koreans had toward the Japanese because the Japanese had been their oppressors and occupiers previously. Korean Christians accepted the fundamental truth of God's grace and His love for all people. They knew the gospel was for the world, but, but they had somehow managed to exclude the Japanese in their thinking. But the Holy Spirit moved in and conviction spread throughout that body and people began to come to the front and to cry out to God. It was an amazing scene of revival. And they, their pride, their bitterness uh, began to, to drain away. And as they returned to their homes and their villages, they began to make things right with people that, that they were at odds with. Some returned stolen property. Um, the churches began to fill up. There was a revival that swept through the region. The Methodist church in North Korea in one year doubled in size. Doubled in size. Historians have pointed out that about the time of Jonah's mission, Assyria had gone through many years of, of famine, of plagues, of revolts that had to be squashed with violence by the government, by the, by the empire. There had been eclipses of the sun and the moon, and all these things were seen as bad omens. We have records of this in ancient history. And, and the leaders thought worse things were to come. Some have argued that, that this stretch of misfortune in the Assyrian Empire was perhaps God's way of using these circumstances to kind of plow the ground, to prepare the way for the seed of Jonah's preaching. And that that's why they were so responsive uh, that day when he walked through the city preaching this short sermon, calling people to repentance. Their response was typical for ancient Semitic people in that time, they clothed themselves with sackcloth and they put ashes on their heads, their faces. They sat in ashes. And in the Old Testament, that was always a symbol of mourning, of sorrow and repentance. Uh, someone wanting to, uh, to, to say to their neighbors, I'm in duress, uh, I'm mournful, I've sinned against God or I've lost a loved one, would, would wear sackcloth which was very similar to what we call burlap today. Very simply, someone wearing sackcloth and ashes had, had an outward sign on their bodies that, that represented something that had happened inside their hearts. And it's unfortunate, I think, that, that we have very few traditions left in the faith that symbolize repentance. Uh, the mourner's bench in early Methodism, in the revivals of the 1800s in this country, uh, the tent revivals at Cane Ridge, not far from here. People came to the mourner bench. Early Methodists would, would, would cling to the mourner's bench, which was a sign of their repentance, coming to faith or, or, or coming back to God, having wandered away. Uh, our kneeling rail uh, is, is allegedly a place where people can come when an invitation is given. Um, doesn't always happen, but it's there for you. It's a place where you can come and pray and seek God's face. Um, the confessional for Roman Catholics, the imposition of ashes on our foreheads at the beginning of Lent, 
All of these are, are symbols, signs, they are actions that we take in response to a conviction in the heart that we have sinned against God and others. And we need to make that right with God. We need to confess it. We need to repent, change directions, and turn back to God. And here in Jonah 3, sackcloth and ashes were used as a public sign of repentance and humility. And the reasoning is spelled out here. Who knows? God may yet relent. God may change his mind and with compassion and mercy turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. This is really interesting because the Bible never says that Jonah's message um, was gracious and invitational. And it's possible that, that, as we'll see next week in chapter 4, the reason that Jonah started sulking and got so angry and upset about the response to his preaching, the almost universal response to this message of repentance, is that Jonah didn't want them to repent. That Jonah is still hoping for judgment to come to Nineveh. But instead, God moves in their hearts and a tenderness comes forth, a humility a true repentance takes root, at least for a while, among the Assyrians. You may have used your fifth, uh, your tenth, your fiftieth chance with God. I mean, truth be known, I don't think I'd have a ledger big enough to fill up with all the, the extra chances I've gotten. I don't know about you, uh, but God is not simply a God of second chances. We know that. A second chance is, is really just a way of talking about another chance. That God gives us another and another and another and another chance. And that is part of the wonder of this message of Jonah chapter 3. So I ask you, do you, do you need another chance with God? Um, do you need an experience, a renewal of God's grace? You may not think you're worthy of it. Uh, you may doubt that that you could ever be close to God again, given how far you've wandered or what you may have done to offend God, to hurt God, to hurt others. But I'm here to tell you that, that at the heart of our religion is grace. We believe as the people of God that God is full of grace and mercy. And he invites us to come. To come. Now, uh, Jeremy's going to lead us in our closing song, and as he takes his place, I'm going to uh, say a, a prayer for us uh, as we think about the sufficiency of God's grace in this moment. Lord, we thank you for Jonah. We, we identify with Jonah, uh, not obviously being swallowed by a whale, but we certainly understand what it means to run from you to resist you, to rebel against you at times, to be resistant to um, what you're saying to us, where you're, you're commanding us, asking us to go and to do. We, we thank you for your gracious patience with us, that you are not willing, as Second Peter 3 says, for any to perish, but for all uh, to repent and to come to a knowledge of our God. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come and move in this congregation in these moments. Come and help us to return home just as the prodigal did when he came to his senses. 
so that we may be embraced by our Heavenly Father, given a robe around our shoulders, a ring on our fingers, sandals on our feet, and a great feast to celebrate that we have embraced the second chance. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.